Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm thrilled to have partnered with Mindful Chef in the second series of Food for Thought. Mindful Chef is all about convenience, quality, and balance, delivering simple, nutritious, and sustainably sourced fresh recipe boxes straight to your door. With dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan recipes available, there is something for absolutely everybody. And what's more, for every meal sold, Mindful Chef donates a school meal to a child in need. You can save £20 across your first two boxes from Mindful Chef, plus get a free cookbook from the founders by heading to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought or if you use the code from this podcast food for thought when you order your first box that will be applied hello and thank you so much for tuning in to food for thought a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. We spend quite a bit of time and effort nourishing our relationships, whether it's with your significant other, your pals, your parents or your children, but what about your relationship with food? This relationship impacts not only our health, but for so many, it's closely tied to other relationships, including that with our own body. Our relationship with food is so important to health and wellness, happiness, yet there's a very fine line between thinking carefully about what we put into our bodies and obsessing over it, restricting it dangerously. To help us make sense of it all is Joshua Woolrich, an NHS surgical doctor whose everyday work with patients and own significant weight loss experience have given him a unique insight as to how we should all build a healthy relationship with food. Hello, Joshua. Hello. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it's one of these discussions I've wanted to have with you for a very long time. And of course, your job in general leads to so many different avenues. But what about from doctor to relationship with food? Can you talk me through that a little bit? As in how that happened? Yeah, how does that happen? See, it's complicated. 
So I hope you've got, how long have we got? We've got time. <laughs> we've got um, time. No, it, it is complicated because I, so I, I grew up with uh, kind of developing quite a poor relationship with food or something mm. that I've realized more recently. Um, and so I kind of entered slash exited my teenage years being quite overweight. Um, I don't necessarily like that phrase and I don't want to caveat every single thing I say, but mm-hmm. people know what I mean when I say mm. that. Um, and that continued throughout university and, and as I graduated as a doctor. Um, and I started feeling quite uncomfortable mm. working as a doctor, seeing patients that at the time I thought it would be relevant to mention their size and their weight mm-hmm. and feeling like uh, I couldn't. Um, it felt to me like I was a smoker that was running a stop smoking service. And it therefore felt very hypocritical of me to be seeing patients and not feeling like I could really do my job properly because I only had certain things that I felt like it was my, I had the ability to mention, let's say. Mm. Um, So that started me down a journey of wanting to try and lose weight for something completely different to why I'd always wanted to in the past. Um, And I'd always wanted to based on my self-worth and how I how I felt like other people saw me and what I felt it meant to me. And none of those reasons kind of followed through um, in my multiple years of Mm. trying to diet and doing all sorts of things like that. And so I think the one time when I had a different reason for it, I think I got quite lucky in that sense that I just, I felt like I wasn't being the kind of as good a doctor as I could be. And I felt it was holding me back. So at that point I wanted to do something about it. My, Mm. my, my opinion on whether I necessarily had the right motives at the time have slightly changed. <laughs> with, it's always the way. Yeah, with kind of some of the stuff I've come across and my, my kind of attitude towards this kind of stuff. I had no idea what a relationship with food was when I started mm. all this kind of stuff. And mm. so um, I find it slightly difficult talking about why I chose to lose weight because I don't want people to misinterpret what my current views are. And what my current stance is on this kind of stuff. I'm sure we'll get into some of that stuff. But. Well, yeah, it's very, very interesting to hear, of course, that you've mentioned two crucial things there. That as a doctor, you first of all felt um, a responsibility, I suppose, towards the impression you're putting out of mm. yourself. But it's also quite a sad thing because it does go to show that people are judged first and first foremost mm. by the, by their size or their shape and that did affect how you felt with your self-esteem yeah of course I don't think anyone can get away from the fact that society places so much worth on mm. what we look like and our weight um, I mean, I mean we can we can kind of learn to to recognize it and to kind of move forward with it but I think you know if, if people aren't understanding of that kind of stuff it's always something that will be affecting them of course, and we know that weight isn't always an indicator of health. However, we do know that, of course, on the flip side, it can be with a lot of serious conditions. And would you say the proportion of your patients suffer from an illness which, which could be eased or even cured, let's say, through nutrition and lifestyle then? I, I think that's a really difficult question to answer. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, so I, I work as a, as a surgical trainee. Um, currently within orthopedics. Um, and there are certain conditions that I know um, diet and lifestyle mm. most definitely have an impact on. Um, for example, osteoarthritis. We know mm. that the the weight on the joints and that weight is 
often related to diet and lifestyle mm-hmm. um, does make a difference. Perhaps you could just explain to everyone what, what those terms mean. For yeah, instance, sorry. Or, <laughs> no, I know, I'm sure there may be a few people listening. That of would, course. Like, yeah. So, I mean, most people have a rough idea as to what arthritis is. It's yeah. mainly kind of a, an inflammation within the joints leads to the, the joint line not being quite as smooth as it once was. And, yeah. and often it leads to quite a lot of pain and discomfort mm. and reduced movement in that joint. Um, and we know that one of the factors for that is um, pressure through the joint or weight mm. through the joint. So mm. if we are um, of a higher weight, uh, that increases the, the likelihood of osteoarthritis or arthritis developing, especially in our knees and hips yeah. and areas that take some of that load bearing. And that's not to say that it's a it, it's a judgment call or it's a you know it's a stigmatism. It's just it's just pure kind of physics, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that um, is fact, isn't it? Of yeah. course, the heavier you are, the more pressure on the joints. It does make yeah, sense. Of course. So it's things like that. I know when I see patients, I know yeah there there will be some element to diet and lifestyle here mm. the problem that i have is that i feel like as a community of healthcare professionals mm. we've done ourselves a disservice where we've put ourselves in a position at the moment where it's becoming incredibly problematic to mention anything yes. because we've we've over the last however many years we have spent so much time jumping to conclusions and mm. making judgment calls based on someone's appearance mm. and telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing without without really looking into it and without really looking at the nuance. Mm-hmm. So something like arthritis is relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. However, if we look at overall pictures of health or we look at things like blood pressure related to someone's size, it's not as straightforward. Mm-hmm. And it's a very nuanced um, link. It's a very nuanced association. And so if every time we see someone that has high blood pressure we tell them that they should lose weight we're not doing them a good service we're not we're not treating them like a real patient we're yeah. treating them like uh, a statistic mm. and once and when we start treating real people like statistics we miss a hell of a lot of stuff that is that just leads to poor patient care yeah. Um, so the reason why I said I struggle to answer that kind of question yeah. is because I find it quite hard. And I actually find that at the moment it's not necessarily doing uh, it's doing more harm than good by trying to mention some of this stuff sometimes mm. because people get this stuff mentioned to them every single time they see a doctor, whether it's relevant or not. Mm. And it leads to quite a lot of weight stigma, in my opinion. And, and so it's it's just something that's very difficult. And I think we need to be taking a step back and really looking at this kind of stuff. But we've kind of put ourselves in that position. And so we need yeah. to start taking responsibility for it, I think. I think that's really um, wonderfully executed, actually, how you describe that, because it's true that we in society are very quick to judge or very quick to mm. label the facts, the black and white facts, whereas there's a whole spectrum of colour that isn't necessarily included. Mm. And I think in an ideal world, wouldn't it be incredible if the NHS gave every single patient access to a psychologist and a nutritionist and a doctor? <laughs> and we know that would be the wonderful 360 mm. degree approach. Yeah. But of course, we do sometimes have to rely on the stats because there's just too many people for too small a service we do but unfortunately i think that we're adding to the stats when we only rely on the stats Mm. and what i mean by that is when we when we don't look at people's health in a in a holistic manner and we only focus on their weight which often occurs yeah we tend to put people down a road of encouraging disordered eating encouraging um, yo-yo dieting and actually Mm. we end up putting people down a road where we actually encourage weight gain 
Yeah. And so I think we're adding to the stats by no. only focusing on the stats. I, I com- yeah, I completely agree. And I would be lying if I said I hadn't had numerous clients in my clinic reporting that perhaps it's a doctor that's told them mm. something, it's mm. stuck in their head, and then I'm working on unpicking this and mm. working on their relationship with food. So it, it is very complex and very tricky. And you also mentioned and you shared with us at the beginning your journey and how you mm. used to be overweight. But... What about the crazy hours working as a junior doctor? Do you think that contributed to that as well? Perhaps it's very difficult to live a healthy lifestyle being a doctor yourself? I, so I think possibly. <laughs> and I think, and, and let's say if you'd have asked me three years ago, I'd have gone, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I was, in one way, I think my naivety led me to use that or not as an excuse, but almost mm. as a reason for it. Mm. And I think, there is definitely 100% an element to um, being busy and mm. not having much free time. There is definitely an element to that leading us to make slightly more convenient choices. Yeah. And the more convenient choices aren't always, in the long run, the healthier choices. Yes. However, at the same time, mm. um, I think what had a much bigger impact on me at that time was the way that I saw food and my relationship to food, not not the timing. And I think I... I I think there were things, because I didn't recognize what my relationship with food was, Mm. I found other reasons as to why my lifestyle was the way that it was. Mm. And for me, having a busy lifestyle was an easy one to point a finger at and say, that's it. And I I want to make sure I'm not coming across in the sense that people, that isn't a real thing. That's why I started by saying that there is an element to that. And I'm not telling people that they can't use that as a reason because it is. But at the same time, my relationship with food had such a bigger impact on on how I saw food, how I chose what food mm. to eat, why I was choosing certain foods, why I was picking. Because there's, you know, I, I'm I'm privileged to to have money, and I'm privileged to mm. be middle class, mm. and so the 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 social socioeconomic impact of being able to choose certain foods yes. wasn't impacting me to yeah. to an extent as it does to a lot of people in this country and around the world. Yeah. But at the same time. I was still making choices that I didn't necessarily have to make and I was making them out of the wrong reasons. Well, I think you've touched on a point that should be discussed, which is that it's complex and it it's very rarely one single thing or one single mm. cause. And when when we throw about language or we use words like or terminology like your relationship with food, psychology is a very, very heavy factor here. Often it's not about the food itself. I mean, I tend to find that I describe this, I described it in my TEDx talk actually about, it's called your food world, which is everything you believe personally about food, but also your food script. So your whole life growing up from childhood up to adulthood, Mm. all the different influences that come in, almost like a play, dictate your entire relationship. I've got so many stories as a kid that that I now recognise. Yeah shaped the way that I saw food Mm. that at the time I had absolutely no idea. Yeah, and it's, it's not something we think about, I think, well, really. no. And I've just come straight from back-to-back clients just now for this particular recording. Mm. And I had two very severe, I would say, cases of very tricky relationships with food. And it does bring it home. And we do have to remember, like you said, a few factors that we are privileged to be in a situation, to even be in a certain situation. But once again, it's not a choice. People do not one day decide, oh, I want to have this difficult problem mm, right now. Mm. I want to turn to food for this or I want to turn against it for this. It's not a choice, is it? It's it's definitely part, and it can be in a sev- severe case, a mental health illness. Yeah, and I think when we start labelling these things as choices, mm. we start putting 
the onus and the responsibility on that person for their own health. And I think we start getting into quite a dangerous situation when we start doing that. No, completely. And it takes a lot of people. So I think, like you've touched on before, as a doctor, obviously, you don't get as much or if any nutrition training. Mm. So it's very important. Six lectures, maybe? Six six lectures. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Something minimal. There's more happening. But when I was at uni, yeah, about that. Yeah. I mean, what advice would would you give to somebody? So let's say someone had come in and they happened to tell you, you know, I don't think I can prioritize my food right now. And you think they're going through something similar. How would you tell them to go about addressing that? Where would you send them? Yeah, this is the thing. It's yeah, it's a it's a million dollar question because otherwise we'd all have the solution to all of this kind of stuff, wouldn't we? We would. Um, My what I tend to say because I do get a lot of people messaging me on on Instagram and over social media, and 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 I can't ethically I can't give out certain bits of advice to everyone that that ask me these things. I can't give out. Thank you for touching on that. It's important. It's so important. It's just I mean. I wish we could, but (laughs) no. I mean I can't. I can't give out personal medical advice over Instagram. Um, There are very there's there's, there are very very good reasons why that might be. I mean, as a doctor, I didn't learn to diagnose people based on text. I learned to diagnose people based on examining them, talking to them, looking at blood tests, looking at other investigations. Mm. You know, and and you can't do that over Instagram. And so I'm doing people a disservice if I pretend like I can. And I think the same goes with any real profession. uh, some of them aside, obviously, but I think any any healthcare profession, I would say most definitely it, there's a limit to what you can advise. But what I do say um, to people when they ask this kind of stuff is I say, look, uh, the first thing that I think you uh, you need to do is have a look at your relationship with food. Mm. And then the next question is usually, well, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so how would you define a healthy relationship with food, let's oh, say? I, I think... So I think a healthy relationship with food is going to look different for everyone. Yes. But one of the things that I tend to ask people is, are there times, I think one question is, are there times when you feel afraid mm. around food, when you feel guilty about food, or when you think that individual foods have huge impact on your health or your worth mm. or your well-being? Mm. Um that's one of those kind of questions. And a lot of the time people go, oh, no, 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 I don't know, none of that. Mm. And then I kind of rephrase it in a different way. And I kind of say, okay, so let's say I get to pick, allergies aside, mm. <laughs> let's say yeah. I get to pick a meal. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely no say in it. No control. And I give it to you and you have to eat it. Would you feel comfortable about that? Mm. And most of the time it's no. Yeah. I go, well, why not? And you go, well, because you might give me this. And I go, well, what's wrong with that? And then we kind of get into this and we go, yeah. oh, okay, fine. So maybe there is something there. Mm. You know, would you be, would you not be happy if I gave you a plate of just mm. pasta? And, <laughs> yeah. and if not, why not? Yeah. You know, would you, you know, it's those kind of things mm. where obviously, as I said, allergies and, and yeah. ethical quandaries aside, mm. um, I think a healthy relationship with food looks like one where you don't have fear around food. Mm. You're not basing your choices around food on fear or guilt. Yes. And it's those two it's those two emotions I think are are really rampant and quite rife. And when you start making choices from a place of freedom around food, it becomes a lot less problematic for things like moderation. Mm. It becomes a lot less harmful to be picking healthier foods and it, it seems so silly to kind of say it like this, Not but at it's all, something but it becomes that becomes enjoyable as well. Yeah, of course. But p- people don't really understand that sometimes, and I definitely yeah. didn't. And I kind of felt like, well, what's what's wrong if I'm if I'm not allowing myself to eat the unhealthier in quotes foods? Like, yeah. what's wrong with that? There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I'll get that question a lot, and I'm going, but 
why are you why are you not allowed to eat them?、Mm. Is it because you are actually making a conscious choice about your long term health and that kind of this, or actually is there an element to fear around that? Is it a rule that we've had created、yeah. that people live by? And this is why I wanted you on to discuss, obviously, coming at it from an angle as a medic, you know, a doctor. And for myself as a nutritionist with training in this field, it, it's a very,、um, a very tricky, complex area, and、mm. it can go one step further. Of course, if people are, have a constant fear of of shape or or weight gain, that kind of thing that controls their lives every day, so it becomes debilitating. They can't. Do their daily activities because they're so worried about food in a social setting.、Mm, That's、mm. when it becomes even more severe. Of course. And I think also when coping strategies are lacking for so many of us, like when we're stressed or we're sad, and there's this theory called Orbach's hunger theory, where、mm. we have ten different stages, and we eat when we're celebrating, we eat when we're sad,、mm. we eat when we're happy, like you name it. Every emotion we turn as human beings. Well, food's great. Food is great. You <laughs> got it. You got me. So. I think when you weigh all of that up, it is very everybody's relationship with food is completely unique to them.、Oh, yeah. So you cannot put a one size fits all approach on working with any single individual when it comes to nutrition.、Mm. And this is the biggest battle I have in my clinic because, of course, no one will ever be the same.、Mm. There's no one approach. No, I get the same questions all the time. What if I try intuitive eating, or if I try the five two, or if I try fasting, or would this method work for me? And I'm like, well. It is finding a combination of any method that will work for you, rather than looking at it. It's also a question of work in what sense. Precisely. What are you doing it for? Exactly. Because I'd touch on that slightly and just say my 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 opinion on intuitive eating, for example,、mm. is I don't necessarily think it's a method.、Mm. Um, and I think when people start using it to do certain things, There then it becomes、go. a method. Exactly. You know, like it's not a method for weight loss,、Precisely. but when people start using it for weight loss, it's not. And、uh, it that's work. difficult. It's well, it's nothing to do with weight、exactly. loss. But people come in being like, "Well, this." Help me lose weight. I'm like,、yeah. no, that's not the I've point. I've been doing it, and I've put weight on, so I, it's not working. So、yeah. I stopped. I'm like,、well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. There seems to be an overall drive on health with nutrition related to particularly losing weight. So、oh, yeah. I often get this: the stigma of being a nutritionist myself is, oh, let's go see a nutritionist to lose weight,、mm. rather than what about optimizing your concentration or your mood. Your happiness every day, and you also have spoken a lot about weight stigma.、Mm. Can you explain first of all that term?、Mm. It's something obviously you've experienced, and something you you must see happen、yeah. quite frequently. I I would say I mean weight stigma itself is is a way of describing、um, discrimination、mm-hmm. or assumptions about a person、mm. based on their size.、Mm. Um, And oh, there, there are just so many negatives,、um, and there are so many different impacts that that weight stigma has、mm. on on one's health, one's overall health. It's so sad.、Um, one of the, I mean, there's a large element from a psychological perspective, huge, a huge、yeah. element. And so, one of the first things that that we tend to mention with things like weight stigma is things like depression,、yeah. anxiety,、um, disordered eating itself,、mm. um, things such as actually.、Uh, Upsettingly suicidal thoughts, suicidal behaviors, because it has such a massive impact on our opinion of ourselves, on our self worth and、mm. our self belief.、Mm. Um, now, aside from that, it also has other impacts on our on our physical health too. So we we know that there is、um, a correlation, and it's not one hundred percent set in stone. However, we can see quite clear correlations between people who are subject to weight stigma. 
and things such as uh, metabolic syndrome, mm -hmm. things such as chronic inflammation, because mm. inflammation is a wonderful buzzword at the moment, so might as well stick that yeah, in. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Well, let's not bring celery juice into <laughs> no, no. this today. <laughs> um, and also at the same time, just overall mortality. Mm. And that's quite a scary thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that there are going to be some kind of science uh, inclined people listening to that and going, okay, that's all well and good, but maybe that's just the, the person's size. Like maybe yeah, actually, course. maybe There's it's people it. at a bigger size that means that they have, um, you know, a higher mortality. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that these correlations and these studies have almost all of them, and I'll have to, I can send you some of the links, mm -hmm. but and I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but almost all of them show this same effect irrelevant of size. Mm -hmm. So when you take two people of the same size in terms mm -hmm. of BMI, which is another whole other conversation, yeah, but I didn't when we take two people, let's say weight. So yeah. when we take two people of the same weight at the same height, mm. um, and one of them is subject to weight stigma and one yeah. of them isn't, the one subject to weight stigma still has all of these negative correlations mm -hmm. with them and so it's not the weight that's causing this or no. it doesn't seem to be yeah and so we we need to stop kind of disregarding all of these negative effects mm. um based on assuming that it's that it you know oh but it's just because you know having lots of fat has all of these negative effects and it's it's i think we're doing people a disservice when we do that oh it's it's far deeper than the appearance and the actual mm. fact of the weight itself oh yeah as you've said, mm. and I think weight stigma does materialize a lot in social media. Mm. I think um, the problem is that we live in two worlds now. We, li we live on our phone and we live in the real world. And it's very easy to blur the two together mm. really quickly. And if we are surrounding ourselves with the same ideal body type image or thoughts or phrases every single day when we walk into a shop and we see a mannequin of a certain size or a slogan on a shop wall or a gym, we are surrounding ourselves unconsciously, let's say, mm. with an ideal. Yeah, it, it continues to instill in us mm. the link between weight and worth, which yes. is absolute nonsense. Yes. To, to, to use the polite phrase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite as polite on my Instagram, but no, I'll be polite here for you. Thank you. Um, Appreciate but, it. Oh, it's just, it's such nonsense. Yeah. Um, it, it, our weight does not equal our worth. No. And we can't argue that. Like, there is, there's no. no good argument to say that it is. But that's the true um, defining character, the fact you're a health professional. You will never find a decent health professional saying it is their way or the highway. Hmm. Literally, when it when it comes to seeing these things and, and discussing weight stigma or saying this is the answer, this is it. No health professional would ever do that because it is complex. It is so much deeper. The, the difficulty I see is that I see some of them doing that, though. Mm. And 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 I guess. To, to slightly rephrase that would be like no good health professional oh, okay yeah that. thank you yeah I think that sorry guys no good health professional will just because ever because again be the, so uh, as I yeah, said at the beginning you know we've we've put ourselves as health professionals mm. into this kind of situation I think yeah um, and there are numerous and endless stories of people going to their doctor or going to a healthcare professional and being true. told something that's completely irrelevant mm. being told something that is an assumption or a stigmatism about mm. their weight um, and being given advice off the back of that when that's not what they came in to see the doctor for. And then they've left with even yeah. more thoughts and feelings exactly. in their heads. No, it's this is just it. And you speak about um, giving ourselves, like you've mentioned earlier, permission to eat. Mm. 
if you unconditional permission yeah exactly and mm. i think that's also one of the um principles of we've discussed earlier yeah. with intuitive eating it's number one there you go <laughs> so if you want to delve into that a little bit and how you found that working alongside an NHS kind of environment with other doctors? Do they understand you when you talk about this with them? How does that I, go down? Uh, mm, I get, can, yeah, I get teased quite a lot <laughs> around some of that stuff. But I'll, I'll, so I'll start. Okay. I, I, I would say that a kind of unconditional permission to eat, I think, is probably one of the most misunderstood concepts of intuitive eating. Yes. Um, and I think the reason being is that it's, it still comes from a place of fear. Mm. It still comes from a place of going, hang on, but if I give myself unconditional permission to eat, mm. I'm just going to eat donuts all day because that's yeah. what I want. But then they realize once they, they, they couldn't <laughs> physically do that, I'm sure. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, but you then start making choices based on something else. So mm. at the moment, you might want donuts all day. And so, you know, I'm going to ask you, fine, today you're going to eat what you want. You're going to eat what you crave, what you're, yeah. what you're wanting. And you might go and eat eight donuts, let's say. Along with unconditional permission to eat comes other tenets in mm. regards to honoring your hunger and respecting your fullness and, and kind of respecting your body and how you're feeling. Yeah. And so you get to the end of the day after eating eight donuts. Let's say you haven't eaten anything else but eight donuts all day. How are you actually going to feel? <laughs> you're you're going to feel lethargic. You're going to oh, feel tired. Oh, your digestion, I dread to think. Exactly. You're going you're gonna to try and go to the toilet and it's not quite going to yeah. work. So, but you know what? That's then going to lead or should if we're then kind of looking at this, if we're starting this in the right place and, mm. we're, and we're kind of in the, the appropriate mindset to be able to look at this kind of stuff, yeah. that should then lead to a realization of, okay, so eight donuts doesn't actually make me feel very good. Mm. And soon having eight donuts is going to completely lose its value. It's going to lose its, its, its kind of excitement. Mm. But it has that excitement because we've spent however many years the telling ourselves life. that donuts are bad mm. and we're not allowed them. Yeah. And that, that I, I get a lot of questions about binging as well. And, and binging comes from a psychological perspective, comes from a place of restriction. Mm. And when we stop restricting things, we may have this kind of almost kind of rebound effect. But if we stay on with this kind of stuff, mm. and this, I promise, isn't me trying to give people advice over without no, seeing no, But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, when we start giving ourselves this permission to not restrict, mm. we lose, the, the, the binging loses its impact. Not 100%, but it definitely has, there's definitely a change there. Mm. And as I said earlier, um, being able to moderate what we're eating is much easier and much less problematic when it's coming mm. from a place of freedom. So when mm. we're free to choose what we want, because we have unconditional permission to eat what we want, mm. we then are able to start making choices for health of course. without them being based on fear and restriction yes. and guilt. Which is why definitely separating the two ideas of, like we go back to discussing at the beginning, if you go to somebody and say, I want to work on these principles, but I want to lose weight, it really is letting go of that aspect yeah because that whole mindset is is it, what's it, causing the yeah. problem and you can't really give yourself unconditional permission if no. if you're still making all of your choices based on the assumption loss. that 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 your current and only important mm. goal right now is weight loss yeah and i think like you mentioned of binging obviously it that's a very good point and a lot of binging does evolve from from that process but of course for some people it may have 
you know, different components too. Of course, it's nuanced. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it won't be for everybody, but you've mentioned a really crucial point as well in that it's not somebody's willpower why they binge. They can't just switch it off. Mm. It's not a choice again. And I hear a lot. Let's discuss social media. So (laughs) I hear hear a lot of things. Who do we start with? Who do we start with? (laughs) We don't name names on this podcast. I do on my page if you You want to come. Okay, yeah. Go go to Joshua's page. This is the PC podcast. Um, (laughs) So when it when it comes to looking at misconceptions that um, calories in equal calories out is everything, Mm. um, that obviously wouldn't help explain situations even like binging. Because, for instance, somebody could be binging and not having more calories than their daily intake, let's Mm. say, and then they're still restricting. But instead of losing weight, they're gaining weight because of the binge process and the fluctuation and the types of food. What is your viewpoint, first of all, on calories in, calories out, in terms of when it comes to being mindful of what's in the food. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So it's a very so long-winded it, it, type of question. It's also not an easy answer it's either. It's not. <laughs> and every health professional has a different view. We had um, Dr. Giles Yeo on before mm. explain the genetic kind of mm, factors. Mm. Well, I heard someone say the other day, and I think I, I really like this as a, a, as, as a kind of analogy. I heard someone say, and I can't remember who it was, say that telling someone that weight loss is as simple as calories in, calories out, is the same as telling a boxer that winning is as simple as just not getting hit. And I really liked that because it completely, like, you wouldn't tell a boxer not to get, like, obvious, yeah. like, that makes sense, right? Because like, there's so much more involved. Yeah, there's technique course. in the game. Not that it's... I know anything about boxing, <laughs> by the way, but I'm sure there's a bit of technique there. But so, or, or tennis. It's like yeah. saying, you know, just just hit the ball over the net. Yeah. In I, the right I get place. the tennis analogy yeah. works for me. Than <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but so, so I think just like you could argue, yeah, but a boxer shouldn't get hit. Mm. It's like, okay, but let's look at what it actually takes not to get hit. Yeah. And if we ignore all of that, then yeah. we're going to fail at the first hurdle. Yeah. And so when we look at things like calories in, calories out, we know that the science is there. Like it's not... Everyone We, we knows know that. energy yeah. balance. We know that, it, you know, we, but we're not robots. No. And so if we were a robot 
Um, and we we gave that robot more energy than it, you know, that energy would have to go somewhere. Yeah. But because we're not, we're ignoring all of the other things that impact calories in and calories out. Mm. And so I just, I, to, to make it clear, calories in, calories out is always scientifically accurate. Of course. But there are so many things that impact calories in and calories out. Yep. And that does include types of food, how yes. much we can absorb from types of food. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I think we've there are some people that are taking it slightly too far. Mm. And so, uh, for example, like not eating late at night, mm. um, there may be some good reasons why it might be helpful for you not to eat late at night. Yeah. But people telling you that the food is going to make you fat if you eat late at night. Past 6 p.m. Yeah, I get, I get all not, sorts of yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you could, if you want to go really scientific, you could delve into the circadian rhythm and you could delve into yeah. actually maybe we actually do absorb slightly more calories from the food, but it's ne- it's negligible in the long outcome of going... And lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so much stuff there. And it's... And I think we are taking it the other way too far. So I think, I, I don't know whether I've gone around the houses slightly, but calories in, calories out is scientifically <laughs> accurate. Yeah. But we're missing a lot of nuance when it's all we focus on. Yeah. I like using the two keys whenever I discuss someone's nutrition in general, which is the quality of the diet and the quantity of the diet. And mm. those two factors will be unique to everybody. So one calculation that is based on science to work out your basic amount of energy you need every day versus how much you need on top of the activity you take part in cannot physically ever be 100% accurate Mm. because it's just a calculation. Mm. We're all unique human beings. So there will be, there has to be a margin of error there somewhere for people to take into account where they might need a bit more or a bit less than what the number's telling them. Which is why I'm not convinced that calorie counting as a Mm. a method is a lifelong no you know a, a kind of a, a feasible thing to be doing from a yeah. lifelong perspective because there's so much stuff it. that you know mm. even just aging affects that that calculation and so we're exactly. going to be spending our whole life <laughs> trying to work out the nuance yeah. looking at what happened the previous day and yeah. it's a lot of mind space to be dealing with when our yeah. whole life revolves around food it's like, true i mean it has a place and i would urge anybody listening to be aware of the energy in your food but don't take it as gospel like it's the most crucial part of mm. component every day and for some people you're much better off rejecting that mentality altogether and just focusing on what you're eating as if you mm. like it <laughs> yeah. rather than counting about the numbers but if we move on from that because that's quite mm. an eye-opening deep topic there it's um, a whole nother podcast all by itself i think i could do a whole podcast <laughs> easily on calories but to be honest my own um yeah ethos around it don't, i don't know if it I might not help it. either that's the problem you <laughs> no. see it's, you know, it would anyway, make it worse <laughs> yeah um what is your view on how social media has affected other people's relationships with foods i it's a double-edged sword okay unfortunately agreed um so i'd like to say that the stuff that i do on it for example is is beneficial to people's Mm. relationship with food Mm -hmm. Um, and i hope it is Mm. um but at the same time um a lot of my content is based around calling out and and kind of acknowledging that what other people are saying isn't helpful Mm. Um, so there is a lot of stuff on there. I'm never going to run out of content to be able to do that. And that's, yeah. in one way, a good and a bad thing. Yeah, it's a very um, different <laughs> approach to the approach I take, yeah, which is why it's very interesting to hear. So it's, there, are so many, um, there are so many people giving their opinion mm. um, as fact mm. on, on social media. 
And social media itself gives a voice to people who normally wouldn't necessarily have a voice. And sometimes that can be a great thing. Oh, it's definitely sometimes that can be amazing. Though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So sometimes, you know, marginalized groups and discriminated against groups and you know, there, there will be people, for example, when we go back to the weight stigma thing, there will be people who have never actually seen um, a, a person of a larger size, really, mm. um, uh, without much clothing, for example. Mm. Yet, if we look at all of the kind of swimwear adverts and all that kind of thing, mm. I mean, if, even so, there's a limit to how large a person mm. they will use for those kind of adverts. Mm. And so, for example, in that setting, social media is giving a, a voice to that kind of marginalized group. Oh, it's and it's great to see that it? kind of stuff. Yeah, 100%. At the same time, it's also giving a voice to people who have opinions mm. which are pretty discriminatory. Of course. Um, and yeah. so taking that one step further in regards to food, there are mm. people who have opinions that aren't evidence-based. That's my biggest concern, <laughs> definitely. And, and I know yours too. Yeah, and they're portraying those opinions as fact. Mm. And they're cherry-picking data. They're cherry-picking studies and showing them to the masses who don't really understand how to, to read or critically analyse studies. There and that's studies not their, and their responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. But they're, they're using that kind of stuff to convince people of a certain way of living based on how they look. Mm. And it all comes back to the visual side, especially when we come to Instagram. It yes. comes back to the visualization mm. of of health yeah. and people assuming yeah. that health looks a certain way. Mm. So they find someone that they like the look of and they assume they must know what they're talking about mm. because otherwise they could never have got to that in the first place. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's... This is the part that I find particularly worrying. So I've personally never, ever done a what I eat in a day mm. post on social media. I never will helpful. do. It's not <laughs> helpful to anybody, especially as I think people need to acknowledge that they have a position of influence on social media. You could have 100 followers, you could have 10,000. You still are going mm. to be showcasing something Sometimes your else. impact can be more harmful when you've got less followers in the first place anyway, yeah. ironically. so Yeah, exactly. They'll be more inclined to be following your every move. Mm. You know, you don't know. And I think the real danger is the anecdotal advice, as you've just said. So somebody getting up the same, well, it worked for me, therefore it will work for you too. And I see so much of it on social media these days with lots of different accounts popping up left, right and centre. And big concerns of people crossing over into areas they shouldn't be discussing as well. So I think skinny coffees and teas and I can see the look on your face right now because uh, they're making a lot of money, aren't they? Mm. Like, and now too much. They're, you... they're feeding off people's yeah. want to lose weight, irrelevant as to whether that's actually going to make a positive impact on their life. And it's, yeah. it's a, I mean, it makes a lot of money. <laughs> it, it, it does make a lot of money. But as you know now, NHS England's medical director recently urged that social media companies actually clamp down on the adverts mm. for these type of products. What Do you think this will have an effect? Uh, I'm trying not to be sceptical. Okay, let's be, let's be really <laughs> In an optimistic way, yes. Yeah. If, if the, the problem is, I don't know how they draw the line mm. because it's... Uh, I mean, from my perspective, I think it's quite easy to determine whether or not these things are 
based on science or rooted in science but all it takes is one of these companies to start making a different claim like mm. it's got vitamins in it and therefore it's actually not about weight loss it's just for your health but people will still buy it for weight loss and so yeah. there will be ways of I mean going back to not being optimistic again sorry but <laughs> there are always ways of people getting around this kind of stuff yeah. I think however it is good to have these kind of conversations and for people to start speaking out about it yes. because the more that people speak out about it from a place of authority mm. the more that the layperson will have will be exposed to the alternative mm. view mm. and I, I like to say often that when I'm not necessarily arguing but when I'm when I'm kind of addressing or pointing something out on someone's post that mm. isn't correct mm. I'm not, not always doing it for them like mm. a lot of the time they've made up their mind like mm. we're, we live in a world where people aren't really willing to discuss things no. anymore sometimes yeah but what but the reason I'm leaving that comment is for the people that follow them Mm. It, it, I'm not trying to change their opinion, but I'm just trying to give some balance mm. to the conversation to the people that might never have heard yeah. that that might not be true. Well, this is it, transparency. And um, even very recently, I think up until about two weeks ago now, so I'm not sure what date this podcast is currently airing to you listening, but we had new guidelines come in from the ASA, the Advertising Standards Authority, and they now state that all people on social media may be selling a product or if they've been sent a product for free, hmm. they should be declaring it. So hmm. I'm still seeing a lot of people that aren't, but hopefully with people actually regulating this now. So let's say if a celebrity we all know were sent a box of chocolates for weight loss let's call them skinny chocolates i haven't seen them yet i really hope these never appear it'll ever. be your fault if they do now. i know I've, i don't want to manifest <laughs> this um but let's say they put it on their story and say oh, i'm loving i'm really enjoying these chocolates they're helping me lose weight first of all now they'd have to declare that it was actually a gifted item or they were paid to mm. do it legally and then second of all they'd have to say how long they've had it for but I think a lot of people still aren't even declaring if they've been sent that. It makes it look mm. to the consumer like they've actively gone out, bought this product with their own money, whereas they never have even knew it existed if it hadn't been sent to them I know. for free. I think the difficulty is, is even with, and those kind of those kind of guidelines are definitely good things, don't mm. get me wrong. But I think even with that, I still think that there are a lot of people who aren't, it's not going to make much of a difference in mm. regards to what they see because yeah. they still they still um value this person's opinion yeah and they still uh, look up to them as something to be admired and something to to follow um and so whether they put gifted or add or even if they write yeah. down at the bottom of the post this doesn't work for weight loss that people know. will still buy people it we'll still buy it we need we do need a clamp down i completely agree but but I, but I do agree the less we have of it the better yeah <laughs> but, we're being very um do you know on an optimistic note but moving on from the subject of social media just very quickly yeah, i wanted yeah. to ask you your thoughts on intermittent fasting okay so i obviously know from a nutritionist point of view the the evidence kind of thing. What do you think in the medical order as a doctor or what you've seen on social media? Mm. What, are, what are your thoughts on this? It seemed to be a big craze. My, I think my thoughts would be split into two. Um, uh, camps. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word to put it. <laughs> I think my first camp would be, um, what do I think about it in regards to our relationship with food? Mm -hmm. um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I know. My next camp would be putting relationship to food aside, even though we can't really do that. But let's say yeah. we do. Yeah. What does the science say? Yes. And so I think looking at the first thing in regards to relationship with food, I think that it could and it can be quite problematic mm -hmm. because of the fact that it creates a new set of rules around food. I agree. And it doesn't allow us to honor our hunger. Mm -hmm. um, if we're hungry in the morning and we, we've decided that we're going to be doing this intermittent fasting thing, 
um, then we won't allow ourselves to eat. And we know that's the case because you, there are endless questions on social media about, oh. but can I have this if I'm intermittent fasting? Can I have this? Does gum count? Mm. What are, you know, gum, sorry. Does gum Chewing count? Gum, what, is, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what about if I put this in my coffee? Does that yeah. break my fast? I'm like, you're ask, like if you're asking these questions, mm. I don't, I'm not convinced you should be doing it. I think it's a method <laughs> of restriction as well. For a lot yeah, of people, it's another mask it's, for it's a It's also why. It's, it's are you doing it to lose mm. weight? Um, yeah, and the why is one I'd like you to cover because yeah. there's lots of crazy reasons why that are emerging that people are talking about, but I don't mm. think they're quite concrete in evidence. No, I think I think there's definitely, uh, to put it into camps again, I think yeah. there's two camps. There's the wanting to lose weight and then there's the overall health, however that kind of seems to pan itself out. Mm. The wanting to lose weight, I mean, you're just restricting the period of time in the day that you're allowing yourself to eat. Mm. And... I can definitely, you know, if you give me unlimited food, I can definitely eat more food in 14 hours or yeah. 16 hours of being awake compared to eating food within six hours of allowing myself to eat. Mm. And so uh, people are finding themselves losing weight on it, but it's just because they can't eat as much. Mm. There isn't anything magical to it. Mm. People will claim that there is. People mm. will claim that it affects this and that and the insulin levels mean you don't put weight on and it's just, none of that is really based on sound science from no. a weight loss perspective mm. and we've seen that there have been multiple studies looking at time restricted feeding yeah. compared to ad libitum feeding yeah. and it doesn't if as long as the calories again this isn't the yeah. point but when we go back to the the, the kind of robot type science yes. as long as the calories are controlled yeah. it doesn't make any difference whether they're intermittent fasting or not completely and so from a weight loss perspective i think it's just I think it's just as problematic as any other weight mm. loss method in the sense that it can have a large impact on how you view food. Mm. And anything that adds more rules isn't going to be something that I'm going to ever blanket advise. No. And I even heard, I had some worrying messages from a few friends, and um, this was last year, saying, you know, I know somebody with cancer. Would intermittent fasting help? Some people are saying it, mm. it helps me cure this, and then you get into a whole other level. Well, there's your overall health effects claims mm. that people are having around it. Mm. And the problem with that is that because I like to try and be balanced, yeah, I can't too. say that there aren't that, that there isn't anything promising with some of this stuff. Mm. However, what's important to kind of work out is, let's say that it does seem to have some impact on people who have mm. insulin resistance, for example, which is a common one that gets used as to why people should intermittent mm. fast. Um, one, there's not much evidence that it has much of a beneficial impact once you stop doing it. Yeah. So... Uh, as long as you're willing to intermittent fast for the rest of your life, you may be able to improve your insulin resistance. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine, <laughs> but maybe we should perhaps be looking at slightly more permanent ways of doing it because mm. they do exist. Of course. Um, and, and then at the same time, uh, insulin resistance, even if you have it, isn't the only measure of your health. No. And so if, let's say, you, you start intermittent fasting mm. and you manage to improve your insulin resistance, um, what about the other elements of your health for mm. example your social connectivity that might actually ha have an have impact on it because yeah. you you're like you don't go out for brunch anymore because actually no because it'll be too hard because i can't eat because it's not 2 p.m yet <laughs> and you know your sleep yeah. for example maybe like there's just so many different there things are. that we're not taking any time to actually look at mm. and we're just having a very narrow-minded view of yeah. this will improve health i must therefore do it yeah rather than going yeah, but there are so many other things that have an impact on our health. And maybe 
you know, as a doctor, we can't, we constantly weigh up benefit and risk. Of course. And maybe the benefit, the small benefit of intermittent fasting is actually mm. outweighed by the risks for you of doing yeah. that. But then for so, some people out there, rather than intermittent fasting, it may just be having one portion of greens a week more, which would be more beneficial to their health than even fasting. You know, you just got to yeah, look at it as yeah. such a different... Um, their insulin resistance may be angle. massively improved by just increasing their fibre intake. There you go. Exactly. And that doesn't require them to add any more rules no. around their food. No. Uh, it doesn't require them to ignore all their brunch dates that they, no. you know, they have. <laughs> with their friends and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so. so it's definitely, I like the two camps philosophy there. There's always a for and against. So we have got some questions from followers for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now Nina has said, what do you think of the 80-20 rule, or the word rule is there again, around mm. food? So that may answer that for you there, <laughs> it Nina. It does. <laughs> yeah, 80% of the time healthy, 20% not. What do you think? I think it's a nice way of describing moderation. I, yes. But again, it's got the word rule in it. <laughs> and and whenever we start putting rules around our food, we we, we, we just need to be careful. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a nice way of describing how moderation works. And it's a nice way of describing that there are no such things as as inherently bad foods. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it can become a rule for people. So okay. I think it's just worth being aware of what its purpose is. Yeah. If that works for you, Nina, that's fair enough. But definitely take on board all of that wonderful advice. So Sam has said, I sometimes eat more than my boyfriend does for dinner. Should I be concerned about this? This is very hard to answer these over, <laughs> over the podcast. Should you be concerned? No. No. There you go. Basically. Um, yeah. But you, you can't you can't make judgment calls about... No, we don't know what you're eating, Sam. Well, exactly. And you don't. you can't make judgment calls about what people need for no. their body uh, you know your boyfriend could be smaller than you who knows okay. who knows there you go so harpreet has asked i always have been self-conscious about my stretch marks does everyone get them um i have them there you uh, go. so uh however that's that's um person of one there uh, <laughs> in terms of everyone no but yeah. um a lot of people do uh they are they tend to be quite a normal outcome from certain things so for example uh a large majority of people after being pregnant have stretch marks. Yes. Um, and it's not something that you can get rid of. No. Um, you can, so uh, the only reason I'm saying that is just because I see a lot of people selling things online to be able to get rid I of know, that kind of stuff. I and know. it's, again, it's it's playing off people's insecurities. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, you, it doesn't define your worth. Like, it, I know it just seems so sappy, but it's incredibly true. And we need mm. to say that stuff more often. I think we're so used to seeing airbrushed images as well, um, Harpreet, just to put that out there, that we, we rarely get to see the perfection of imperfection if that makes sense mm. the perfect what's the phrase is it perfection of imperfection or I think the, so yeah something it sounds right it does sound it goes right. hand in hand with cellulite it's there all the go. same it's exactly yes. the same camp as it's not something you can oh. fix it's not something that needs no. to be fixed and it's not something that is as uncommon as you think it is no Based no on... collagen pill everybody yeah. is going to suddenly miraculously get rid of your cellulite or no your collagen pill is going to do anything going to do anything to be no I'm, I'm it's rubbish protein Why I'm really it? fed up with seeing collagen supplements <laughs> everywhere anyway the last question we've got moving on Elizabeth says Josh this is really lovely this is you make a really good avocado rose how can I recreate this <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made one of those in ages uh, you need to find the right ripeness of avocado Oh. That's that's number one. Oh, I love a ripe avocado. Uh, yeah, see, but if it's too ripe, it won't it won't hold its shape properly. 
Mm-hmm. And if it's underripe, then it won't bend properly. Oh, so okay. you've just got to find, maybe you need to buy five or six avocados of different ripeness and try them out. And then you can, you know, I think it's, it's kind of luck. It's in the fair. avocado. There we go. Thank <laughs> Get a good you. knife as well. <laughs> Excellent tip. So we're now moving on to my favorite part of the podcast. Mm. Now, this is called Fact or Fiction. Mm. You can answer as you wish. All right, go on. Um, to give you a clue, somebody did say faction when they weren't sure which ah, way it okay. went. Okay, <laughs> all right. Say that for all of them. Okay. Calories in, calories out determine our health. Complete fiction. Cellulite is normal. Fact. Artificial sweeteners cause heart disease. That's a new one. Fiction. <laughs> Our appetite is the same every day. Fiction. We should trust all headlines we read. Well, I mean, obviously that was fiction as well. <laughs> They're leading. Co- I was worried for no reason. Yeah, Sorry. no, you really went. <laughs> but just wait till you have the next one. Drinking celery juice to detox your body works. Ah, oh, well, obviously that one's a fact. <laughs> obviously. No, I'm, I am joking. Just to clarify, please don't turn off the the podcast and go and drink celery juice. Um, no, it, it's you know it's veg. That's great. Yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna fix anything magical. There's no, no there's no plausible mechanism for it. And uh, if you have delved into the science in quotes, uh, sodium clusters aren't a thing. Yeah. Just to clarify, uh, and it's not because we haven't discovered them yet. It's because they don't exist. There just, you go. Just to clarify. That's a very very well, extra <laughs> bonus there to the round. So there are good and bad sugars. Uh, oh. Uh, dum, dum, dum. Overall fiction, mm-hmm. um, because uh, we shouldn't be calling things good and bad in the first place, mm-hmm. and our body reacts in very similar ways to all sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, there's nuance there, but we don't have time. Yeah, no, it's a quick fire. <laughs> it's a quick fire. Sugar can cause type two diabetes. Uh, fiction. Okay, we must all be a certain weight to be healthy. Fiction. We have the right to choose what we eat. We should do. Fact. Excellent. That was a good quick fire round. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) So that nearly wraps up this episode. But as with every single guest, we finish with a food for thought. Mm. So mine today is that everyone has a unique and special relationship with food, which we have discussed. And it can be a powerful thing when used effectively for mind and body. But if abused, it can also be detrimental to our health. Food should never be a source of guilt and exercise should never be about you know, counteracting what we ate earlier or punishing ourselves for eating. And we all need food to sustain ourselves. So even if we indulge at times, it doesn't mean we should feel bad or see it as any kind of weakness. Food is to be enjoyed. And that's something I see a lot in my clinic, that it's seen as a weakness. And this is not the case. The key to taking any advice on healthy eating and nutrition is to remain open-minded not being, you know, too rigid or restrictive or strict about the new, you know, the numbers and nutritious eating can cause problems and worrying about all sorts of things. So ultimately, to be a little bit more relaxed, which is very much easier said than done. <laughs> and as we've discussed, we've got lots of information in this podcast for you to go away and ponder over. So Joshua, if I could leave you um, to share your food for thought mm. with our listeners, that would be wonderful. I think something that has been on my mind quite a lot recently is that glorifying something as fragile as health is a bit of a recipe for disaster. Mm. I think a lot of the decisions we make, specifically around food, um, are in essence uh, to do with us trying to be healthier. And that's not a bad thing. But when we start linking our health to our worth, and we start glorifying it above all else, 
at all else mm. and we start seeing people that are healthy and we start therefore wanting to or what we think is healthy and we start wanting to copy what they do and listen to them and take their word as gospel health is incredibly fragile and mm. it's not something to be scared of as mm. such but it's just something to be aware of that we can't we can't do even if we had all the money in the world and all the power in the world, mm. we're all still going to die eventually. Now, I know that sounds quite scary, but, but it's just true. And we need yeah. to talk about this kind of stuff more, I personally think. We mm. need to be less afraid of it. Mm. But just be aware that our health is going to get worse as we age. Yeah. And there are going to be times when our health jumps in regards mm. to getting worse. And we are not 100% responsible for that. Mm. And we are often told that it's our fault when something happens that, oh, well, we shouldn't have eaten that when we were younger or mm. we should have been on this diet and then we wouldn't have got this cancer. Mm. And it's just, it's so harmful and it's so upsetting to see when people start feeling guilty about their health mm. and start feeling like they are at fault and mm. they are, um, they should be feeling mm. bad and they are to blame. And, and so I just, I would just say that phrase again, just to kind of just glorifying something as fragile as health because it is fragile is a recipe for disaster well thank you so much for sharing those thought-provoking um points with us and the discussion we've had today i think if anybody listening wants to reach out for some help i will put um some notes underneath this episode on where, where you can go where you can find joshua um and where you can go if you would like some help with your relationship with food and thank you so much for coming on today no Joshua. thank you for having me that was lots of fun Thank you so much for listening. It's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. There is growing concern around knowing where our food comes from and how it is sourced. Mindful Chef works with small family-run British farms to source the best produce in the country. With sustainable produce and recycled packaging, their passion for sourcing food responsibly is as strong as it is for nutrition. To try out the ingredients for yourself, head to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought, where you can get £20 off across your first two recipe boxes and get a free cookbook written by the founders. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.